Hello and welcome to the Asimov Cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzy. Follow the show on Blue Sky and Instagram at AsimovCast or email to AsimovCast at gmail.com. Welcome back to Season 2, where we continue to review the stories that are loosely covered in the first two seasons of the Apple TV adaptation of Foundation. The first book, Foundation, was published in 1951. This episode, The Traders. The first chapter is Lima Ponyets and Les Gorm. Lemar Ponyets is an independent trader and in the deep of space, and the shower, when he receives a call from Les Gorm who needs to deliver a message. A trader has been imprisoned on Ascone for apparently interfering with local politics, and Lemar has to investigate. Ascone is off-limits for trading, they don't buy anything, including atomics. Ponyets had temporarily been training in the Foundation Priesthood before he got expelled and got himself a secular education instead. He knows that the person imprisoned, Master Trader Eskel Gorov, is in fact not a trader, but an agent of the Foundation. Section 2 is Ponyets and the Grand Master. Ponyets travels for a week and then waits for another before he's admitted to see the Grand Master on Ascone. The Grand Master is uninterested in Ponyat's excuses for Gorov. He would trade for release, but he does not want the Foundation's atomic devices, as these have not received ancestral blessing and are interdicted. He won't tell Ponyat what he wants either. Ponyat's asked to speak with Gorov, and normally this would not be allowed, as Gorov is under a death sentence. But Ponyat convinces the Grand Master that he is a tender of the souls of traders, based on his religious trading and the Grandmaster, a devout person, allows it. Our third section is Ponyets and Eskel Gorov. Ponyets gets down to see Gorov and explains the circumstances of his arrival there, including his pious ruse and the fact that he has a field distorter to allow them to converse in private. He finds out from Gorov that what the Grandmaster would want in return is gold. This is the medium of exchange on Ascon. If he can get enough gold together, the Grandmaster will release Gorov. Gorov will leave and then come back as it is his assignment to try and sell atomics into Ascone. The Foundation is looking to ex- increase its security. Currently, it can just about hold on to the Four Kingdoms, but that's it. If other locations won't accept their atomics, they can't bring them under religious control. Ascone still has a few Imperial Age atomic ships, but they don't use atomics at all otherwise. They have a form of ancestor worship for a simpler time when they kicked the Imperials out. They associate advanced science and atomics with the Empire. If Gorov can sell one penknife to a nobleman, then they can incentivize the loosening of laws prohibiting trade in atomics. Ponyets thinks this is backward. They sent Gorov, a diplomat and political agent, to trade, and him, a trader, to be a diplomat. The way to turn it around is to put the responsibility of trading with the trader. Our fourth section is Ponyets, the Grandmaster, and Furl. Ponyets offers the Grandmaster gold and a show. The show is of an atomic device. Ponyets will turn, take the abomination of using such one, such a thing on himself. The device himself, itself is a transmuter and will turn iron into gold. 
One of the councillors, Furl, says that the gold is from a foul source. He is most opposed to Ponyets. Ponyets argues that a rose can grow in mud, and if you would put the gold to pious use, say, to venerate the shrines of ancestors, then it would cease having any evil in it. He offers them to have the gold for thirty days and hold him. If nothing as bad has ensued, the gold must be acceptable to the ancestors. The Grand Master likes this reasoning, and the gold, and Furl reluctantly accepts. A week later, and Ponyets gets an interview with Furl. He is far less credulous than the Grand Master, a smarter, younger, somewhat cynical member of a lesser-known house. Furl is educated and not a slave to the mythology of Ascone. He is, however, sensible of the reactions of the mob, the impact and risk he'd be under if he were to buy or sell atomics and razors. Uh, atomics such as razors, I should say. Ponyets, however, is not offering those. He's offering the transmuter. He can train Furl how to use it in five minutes. He asks for the equivalent of a cubic foot of gold in, in wrought iron. Furl demands Ponyets remain for a week, though. Only then would he pay for it. He refuses to put this in writing, reminds Ponyets could be sent to the gas chamber for even offering this, and it seems is blackmailing Ponyets to get what he wants. Our final chapter, then, is Gorov and Ponyets. Ponyets, back on his spaceship, explains to Gorov how he adapted his food irradiation chamber into the transmuter, but notes that the power consumption is effectively prohibitive on a large scale, which is why the Foundation doesn't really use transmuting. It's an old trader's trick, but Gorov thinks it hasn't achieved what was needed, which was to get them to accept atomics. Yes, Furl may buy the Grand Mastership at the next election, but he'll attribute this to the gold, not the transmuter. However, Ponyets has an ace up his sleeve. He recorded the entire conversation with Furl on microfilm, and Furl using the transmuter the next day. The threat of the gas chamber that Furl made on Ponyets is now reversed, and Ponyets gets to him to agree to trade every scrap of tin he has for his entire cargo of atomic gadgets. Things that make me think, I think there's an interesting point here about the power and limitations of uh, religious manipulation. I think it's very clear that we've moved from credulous use of religion to extremely cynical uh, manipulation of it, uh, whether it be by uh, the foundation of themselves in terms of how the use of religion is, is beginning to fade, uh, or how you can use magic and trickery to, uh, or I should say magic, science and trickery to um, to seem like magic uh, when manipulating the credulous uh, people on Ascone. Um, I think there's an interesting sense here in terms of um, the way these traders are going out there with this sort of... Uh, onus on them to open up markets uh, as part of their expansion and it sort of aligns with some aspects of um, the Silk Road of European trading in Asia uh, in the sort of 18th and 19th centuries um, and I think it's an interesting comparison to uh, as I discussed last week with Tessa uh, the sort of fall of the, op uh, of the Roman Empire mythology that is around foundation as a concept um, I think there's an interesting part where Furl is talking about the sense of the mob, the fact that he might be interested in using atomics, but he knows that uh, if the mob found out, they um, they would uh, effectively chuck him out. Um, 
and so this sort of aligns with uh with the mob uh science of psychohistory itself um i think that uh, money buying elections and the sort of just implicit way that this is accepted is um horribly still true um and incredibly um sort of pers- uh the incredibly vivid foresight from asimov in 51 i don't recall i don't really know what the american election system was like in the 50s but uh it's clear that uh he's already worried about uh the ability to just buy and sell elections um and then finally i would say like we don't have any harry selden in this uh book at all um and in fact he doesn't show up other than in name only uh in in the next book in the merchant princes too so it's um it's fascinating that we've gone from an extremely Harry Seldon focused view to uh, not so much. He's not he's not as central anymore. This this itself is the short one of the shortest of the stories uh, in the novel Foundation, or I should say, the, of the collection of short stories that is Foundation. Uh, it sort of rips along quite quickly um, and just is an interesting movement or an interesting point in time between the mayors and the merchant princes in terms of the way the use of religion to expand power um, is going to change between the previous version. So this is, in fact, a, a story which is not about a Seldon crisis. And I, I think that's, um, that's quite an interesting take. I think it would be very easy to assume that if you're writing this book um, and this set of stories, you're just going to bounce from crisis to crisis to crisis. So I think it is fascinating that Asimov sort of took the time to fill in this small little gap between the two. And then where I found joy, um, I do like the use of the word galaxy as a swear word. Uh, I still think it's funny. Um, And I like the fact that, uh, albeit uh, with iron, not lead, but uh, they do have alchemy in uh, in this book uh, and in this story. Um, It's... uh, Poniatz himself is not perhaps as uh, charismatic as uh, as Salvor Hardin was, um, or as we might see uh, Hober Mallow is in the next story. But um, another another example of uh, of a foundation person who can talk his way around everything and manipulate events to his satisfaction. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Lozymandias on Blue Sky. You can find the podcast on Blue Sky and Instagram at AsimovCast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Justillon from Pixabay. Our awesome new logo is courtesy of Spurts. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com. I also do a horny chaotic podcast about the horny chaotic HBO show True Blood. Check out Fangbangers podcast with a Z. Next time, The Merchant Princes with Melissa. Go now. Do not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm.